This is Psalm 31 from the Common English Bible. I take refuge, refuge in you, Lord. Please never let me be put to shame. Rescue me by your righteousness. Listen closely to me. Deliver me quickly. Be a rock that protects me. Be a strong fortress that saves me. You are definitely my rock and my fortress. Guide me and lead me for the sake of your good name. Get me out of this net that's been set for me because you are my protective fortress. I entrust my spirit into your hands. You, Lord, God of faithfulness, you have saved me. I hate those who embrace what is completely worthless. I myself trust the Lord. I rejoice and celebrate in your faithful love because you saw my suffering. You were intimately acquainted with my deep distress. You didn't hand me over to the enemy, but set my feet in wide open spaces. Have mercy on me, Lord, because I'm depressed. My vision fails because of my grief, as do my spirit and my body. My life is consumed with sadness. My years are consumed with groaning. Strength fails me because of my suffering. My bones dry up. I'm a joke to all my enemies, still worse to my neighbors. I scare my friends, and whoever sees me in the street runs away. I am forgotten like I'm dead, completely out of mind. I am like a piece of pottery destroyed. Yes, I've heard all the gossiping, terror all around, so many gang up together against me. They plan to take my life. But me? I trust you, Lord. I affirm you are my God. My future is in your hands. Don't hand me over to my enemies, to all who are out to get me. Shine your face on your servant. Save me by your faithful love. Lord, don't let me be put to shame because I have cried out to you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them be silenced in death's domain. Let their lying lips be shut up whenever they speak arrogantly against the righteous with pride and contempt. How great is the goodness that you've reserved for those who honor you, that you commit to those who take refuge in you in the sight of everyone. You hide them in the shelter of your wings, safe from human scheming. You conceal them in a shelter, safe from accusing tongues. Bless the Lord, because he has wondrously revealed his faithful love to me when I was like a city under siege. When I was panicked, I said, I'm cut off from your eyes. But you heard my request for mercy when I cried out to you for help. All you who are faithful love the Lord. The Lord protects those who are loyal, but he pays the proud back to the fullest degree. All you who wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Brian. Well, good morning again. I uh, share with you all uh, this f earlier this fall that, you know, as some of you already know, I like to go running in Discovery Park. And I was out running uh, just a few months ago, a couple months ago, and I heard footsteps behind me on the trail. So naturally, I look over my shoulder to see who's behind me because I need to outrun them, whoever they are, right? Um, and so... As I'm looking over my shoulder, I hit like a root or a rock, and I twisted my ankle and sprained my ankle. And as I did that, and as I tripped and sprained, I went, uh, I stumbled, and I caught myself, and I, but I kept running. I kept running for like two more miles on a sprained ankle. Here's my question. I'm going to let you participate and give me the answer this morning. So why did I do that? 
you, you feel free to be very uh, uh, truthful here. So, pride. What else? Competitive. Fear. Fear of what? Fear of what was chasing me or being passed by what was right. What else? I, I I knew who was behind me. Yeah. What else? I had to get home, right? Yeah, so I might have been like trying to get home, right? So my question is like, what, what is it about us that makes us run with, makes somebody like me run with pain, right? I mean, think about that. Why didn't I just stop, walk, take care of my ankle, take care of the pain? Why did I keep running through the pain, right? Because I think that's part of what we do as a Westerners, right, in Western culture, is we run through the pain, right? We're told to be Stoics, like to toughen up, to grit it out, right? That's, the, that's what we're raised to, to think and believe. And today we're talking about loss, right? We're going to actually talk about something called grief and what we're going to call, what I'm calling good grief. There's a difference between good grief and bad grief. And we want, God wants us to have good grief, not what Lucy says in the Peanuts comic strip. We're not talking about that. But this idea of grief, here's, here's what I uh, quote from a book called Life After Loss. It says, failure to mourn is the emotional equivalent of failing to care for a broken bone. And that's the same thing. Like, that's the same thing. Like, I was trying to run through the pain. How many of us, when we suffer loss, and this loss could be a number of things, not just the loss of a loved one or significant loss. It could be loss of a job. Maybe you had to move and change careers. Maybe you moved to another city. There's loss associated with those changes. Whatever changes we go through, we also experience losses, loss of relationship, loss of significance, and these types of things. And so we can experience these things in our lives, right? So what, what, if we, what, if we, what do we do when we're facing those things, right? Are we just running through the pain? How many, I know people who have grieved who said, I'm you know, how are they doing? You'll ask the question, well, how are you doing? Or how are they doing? And they'll say, well, they're holding up well. What does that mean? That means they're not upset. They're not crying. They're not grieving. None of these things, right? And so they're not experiencing any of these things. And so they, we, but part of what they may be experiencing is actually denial of grief or denial of loss or denial of these feelings, right? And so these losses could be significant to us and they may cause us, you know, to ignore pain or ignore grief or loss in our lives. Notice though that in Psalm, the Psalm we heard this morning, the Psalm is actually a petition to God. It's a prayer to God. One is about shame. Part of it's about shame. The other part of it's about grief. But let's pull up uh, these verses, verses 9 and 10. I want you to look at these. Look at some of the language that the psalmist used here. Like what words jump up out to you about how this person is feeling? How are they feeling? Go ahead and see, what do you, what do you see there? Depressed? Consumed with what? Sadness, right? What else? Strength is failing. There's groaning, right? Um, my bones dry up. That's kind of like feeling so withered, right? And so all these things. So you hear depressed, grief, um, you know, that there, there's a consumption of sadness. This is a, a description of someone who's grieving, right? Notice that the psalmist and God don't shy away from these emotions. God's not saying run through your pain, right? God's not saying run through this or toughen it out or get over it, right? That's not what God is saying. Notice that there's, the psalmist is actually expressing grief. 
I think there's something going on in the church that actually is not helpful for us sometimes. And it's something that I heard referred to recently as toxic positivity. Toxic positivity. That's where we in the church kind of put on a brave faith. We kind of say everything's great when it's really not great. You know, we're not really being authentic. We're, because we think to show emotion or to have grief or sadness or pain is a sign of weakness even in our faith, right? But that's not what we see in the Psalms, is it? In fact, we see something very different in the Psalms, that emotions are actually a part of the Christian life, right? And to not ignore those things, but to be toxic, toxic positivity is ignoring those things or putting on a brave face. I had, uh, several years ago, I was in a church and I, our worship leader had lost his son suddenly, uh, 19-year-old, to sudden death. They couldn't explain it. They didn't understand why he had passed away. And uh, so this is a very hard time for him, uh, the worship leader. We, you know, he took time to grieve and funeral and so forth. And then after some time, he stepped back into worship leadership in the church and he got back up to lead us in worship one Sunday. And the, he got up that Sunday and he, the first words out of his mouth were, I don't want to be here. <laughs> I don't feel like worshiping God today. And I remember that moment of him just confessing, like, I'm still hurting, <laughs> you know, and I loved his authenticity. And then he said this, he said, and yet I need to be here. <laughs> I need to, 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 to remember that God is with me in my pain, in my grief. And see, that's what's what we call more authentic faith, right? That there's pain, but there's also grace in the pain. There's pain, but there's a reminder that God is with us, and there's this faithful love that God gives us in the midst of our pain and grief. And so, you know, that's part of it. That's authentic, right? If you want to God can handle our pain. God can handle our grief. God can handle our frustrations and our anger that we experience when we go through loss. So just ask Job. I mean, go read the book of Job. You see someone who does that. Or if you look at the life of Paul, right, Paul prays to God three times to take away his suffering, and God says, I'm not going to do that, but I will give you my grace. And so there's this combination in the Christian faith with suffering and grace. Suffering and God's love are together. God's present with us in our grief, right? That's what's going on here. And it's interesting because we're going to actually, I want to give you a little bit of a handle on what loss and grief looks like in our lives. And here it is. It's, it's in C.S. Lewis said this about grief, his own grief. He, he lost his wife to cancer. He said this, in grief, nothing stays put. One keeps on emerging from a phase, but it always recurs round and round. If you've ever had significant loss in your life, you'll notice that there's a cycle to it. It like goes round and round. Just when you think you're getting over it, it pops back up again, right? Something triggers the grief, the loss, the missing of someone or something, right? So think about it that way. And so if you look at his cycles, right, the grief is in his cycle, there are actually three cycles to grief. And just to kind of give you some handles on it and what it looks like, the first cycle is called crisis grief. This is probably what you learn about if you took a class on grief or a psychology class in high school or college. They'll talk about this type of grief, this crisis grief where you're in denial, then you're bargaining, you know, bargaining, and then you're doing, you have anxiety and you have anger and you kind of repeat these things over and over again. Those are all emotions that go what's called with crisis grief. And crisis grief could last anywhere from one to two years, especially after a significant loss. And it also depends on the, how significant the loss was for us, right? And so that's part of what uh, that crisis grief is. Then the next cycle that we enter into, if we go through that cycle well, 
Then the next cycle is called acceptance. And again, this is another cycle of learning to accept the loss, learning to accept the new reality, adapting to life without this person or without this job or without this relationship anymore. And so we, we adjust and we begin to accept, okay, this is the way things are. I'm going to, and we might call it moving on, right? But that's not the last cycle, actually. The last cycle is when we convert our grief to gratitude. When we convert those memories of loss, those, that pre, almost it feels like a preoccupation sometimes with loss and pain, when those things go, start to subside and what they get replaced with, we actually convert those, those, those losses and convert that to what, what's called a memory. It becomes, the person becomes a grateful memory where we're able to step back and go, God, thank you for putting that person in my life. Thank you for taking me through that trial. Thank you for whatever, fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you went through, when you get to gratitude, and sometimes you can even get to gratitude early on, but when you're only remembering the grateful things, the good things, when you get to gratitude, you know you've reached towards the end of the journey of grief. But notice there's a lot of, notice you can also jump back, right? And it's all different for everybody, right? And so we, when we go through grief, we need to know, and I think what the psalm is saying to us is that God, there's this thing, God wants to walk with us and take us from grief to gratitude. That's the journey God wants to take us on, from grief to gratitude, to thankfulness, to seeing whatever that is as a gift to us, right? And we can do that along the way. Notice, though, back at verse 7, notice what God, what the psalmist says about where God is in their grief. Notice this. It says, I rejoice and celebrate in your faithful love because you saw my suffering, and here it is, you were intimately acquainted with my deep distress. It's saying that God is with us intimately in our grief, right? God's not standing back and going, oh, poor thing. God is actually walking with us in our loss. God is actually grieving with us and intimately has intimate knowledge of what we're going through and knows us. Sometimes God knows what's going on in our heart and mind better than anybody else. We can't explain it to anybody else sometimes, but God knows, right? God is intimately familiar with our grief, right? God has not abandoned us to our grief. God doesn't like step away from us when we experience loss and go, okay, when you're better, I'll come back. God actually walks with us. In Psalm 23, it gives an image of the good shepherd. And one of the lines in Psalm 23, a little bit before Psalm 31, says, he leads me uh, through the valley of the shadow of death. When a shepherd leads sheep through the valley of death, where's the shepherd? Where do you imagine the shepherd is in that journey? With the sheep or, or far away from the sheep? <laughs> right next to the sheep, right? The shepherd is walking intimately, walking right alongside the sheep as they're afraid of what they are going through in the valley of the shadow of death, right? So that's what the psalmist is saying, that God is with us in our grief. And then notice how the psalm ends here. The psalm ends with these verses. It says, All you who are faithful love the Lord. The Lord protects those who are loyal but he pays the proud back to the fullest degree. All you who wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage, right? Isn't that what we need in our grief? Courage. 
We need to be, our hearts need to be strengthened. That's what we're longing for and hoping for. But notice that it's trusting in God, trusting, and what are we not, we're not just trusting in God, we're actually trusting in God's faithful love for us. That's what we're trusting in, that we are loved by God and that God is walking with us. So we have this trust in the midst of grief, and that's what's called a good grief. That's what the good grief looks like. But there's also a bad grief. I don't know if you know that. It's the kind of grief that gets, you get stuck in. Or grief that you and I can get derailed or delayed grief. So we don't actually go through the cycles or go through the journey. We actually get stuck in it. And this actually happens to people. So uh, Queen Victoria in England is a great example. Queen Victoria was married to Prince Philip. Prince Philip died of typhoid. And so she began, you know, she, she had this great loss in her life, but she didn't really, really, she was in denial about it. And here are some examples of her denial. She had his clothes laid out on the bed every day by the staff, even after he died. She kept a picture of him in a locket on her neck, and whenever she wanted to include him in something, she would open up the locket in the picture and show him things that she was experiencing in her life. She would refer to him in the present tense. That's the other thing she did. She also went through England and erected 170 statues of Prince Philip. This uh, one on the screen. What's that? Sorry, Prince. What did I say? Philip. You know, that's the new guy. All right, Prince Albert. Sorry. I am way off on my English history. I'm not an expert on uh, that. But Albert, yeah. So Prince Albert. This is a statue of Prince Albert. Uh, at Prince Albert Memorial in Kensington Gardens. Also, she created Prince Albert Hall at Kensington Gardens, right, if you ever go to England. So notice all these things that she erected, because she, she spent the next, she lived for another 40 years after his death, and this is what she did for the next 40 years. She kept doing these things that actually were showing that she was in denial about his death. And so she got stuck for 40 years, in grief. I don't think that's what God wanted for her. I don't think that's what God wants for any of us, right? God knows that death happened. God knows our days are numbered, and each, each life that we're given, even our lives, are a gift, right? And God wants us to see the gift of life and to appreciate the gift of life, but basically we all die. None of us are beyond that, right? So what we actually need is not denial of grief, or, to, or toxic positivity. What we actually need is we need time and we need space to grieve. And that's why we did this this morning. That's why we created some time and space in our service to actually help people grieve. And that's what these candles represent. This, these represent loss, but they also represent our ability and our time and space to grieve the losses of our life. We need to do that. Because if we don't, if we just throw ourselves into work, all we're doing is running with the pain. That's all we're doing. And a lot of time, that's the temptation. You know, I always, uh, God always throws some curveballs at me when I'm preparing sermons. And sometimes God says, Matt, I don't want you just to preach this. I want you to practice this. And I was actually preparing this sermon. I was talking about how, you know, we need, I was just writing this part about needing time and space to grieve and have loss in our lives. And so I'm writing this. And I had called uh, someone to come fix our, we had a leak in our roof at our house. So I called a company, they sent out a guy to check the leak. 
And uh, he was out, and he came to our house. While I was preparing the sermon, he showed up. And I'm talking with him, and then he says, well, you know, we can't do this, we can't do that. I really need to come back another day. And I'm like, wait a second. You know, I paid you to come out here today. <laughs> like, I started going to customer mode, right? You, you, ever be in custom, you ever been in customer mode? Like, I paid for your services, and you're not providing those services, right? And so I'm like in customer mode, and I'm getting assertive, you know. I'm not angry. I'm not like, you know, I'm just saying, hey, you know, these are, here are my, here's what I expected you to do when you got here. And as I was getting assertive, he then all of a sudden just let out this big sigh. And he started to share his frustrations with the company he was working for. And then after that, he said this. He said, you know, I just lost my best friend. My best friend at work that I worked together for 20 years. And, uh, you know, I'm just not at my best. And then I said, oh, yeah. What have you been preaching about, Matt? Like, And so in that moment, I had to turn off the customer, take the customer hat off and go into caring hat, put my caring hat on. So then I began to just ask him questions. I said, so tell me about your friend. What do you miss about him? And he began to just share about this person's life, how he had actually helped him get sober and get healthy again, how this friend had shown him faith in the Lord. He began to share with me pictures uh, from hunting trips that they had taken together. And so he began to just share with me the life of his friend. And what, he, what we were doing is I was, we were just creating time and space for him to grieve, right? Maybe he hadn't done that yet. But that's what he needed that day. He didn't need to be told what to do at his job. He needed to grieve his friend. And we, we probably talked a long time <laughs> Uh, probably longer than I had expected. So sorry if the sermon isn't as good. But that's why. Because God sometimes put people in our spaces, in our lives, where we need to help them grieve. Maybe we need to grieve, but sometimes we need to help other people and create that time and space. Because I think one of the things about COVID is that we've delayed grief. I mean, I can't think of how many funerals we've delayed or how many how many memorial services we've put off, or how many relationships and people who have gone on, you know, moved out of the area. We didn't even know about it because COVID was happening, right? And I think about all these losses, and there's been no way to grieve. There's been no way to acknowledge that loss in our lives. But we need to do that, and that's why we do this today. I think there's one other thing we can do when we're kind of in that valley of death, when we're in that journey And that is to reaffirm our faith, to say, God, I still trust you. And so I'm going to invite us to do something, and maybe you've never done this before. I'm actually going to invite us to recite something called the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed was formed by the early church as a statement of faith, a statement of trust in God. And it kind of lays out some things, but the the part I really want for us to proclaim today is the last few verses of the Apostles' Creed, because it uses this phrase, the communion of the saints, the great cloud of witnesses, future, past, and present. That's the great cloud. We are in a communion of saints. We're actually going to celebrate communion today. That's a communion. And so the communion of saints, the resurrection of the dead, and life everlasting, this hope that we have in Jesus Christ. 
So I invite you, if you want to just stand with us, you can. You don't have, I'm not requiring this to be done, but if you want to stand and affirm your faith with us today, feel free to stand and say this together with us. This is a statement of faith that we are trusting God in the midst of our journey, our grief journey today. So let's, let's state this together. Join me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. We also come to a table and remember that Jesus gave his life for us. He died. He suffered. He is acquainted with suffering and pain. And so we come to this table to remember Jesus and the grace that God gives us in the midst of suffering. So as we come to this table today, let's pray together. God, we give you thanks for your grace at work, even in the midst of pain and suffering that you love us unconditionally and you love us faithfully. And Jesus is the great reminder that he came to be with us. He didn't stay in heaven, but he actually came to be among us and walk among us and give his life for us and go to a cross. He was willing to suffer and die so that we could live and experience your forgiveness and grace. And so thank you for your grace in this cup and bread today. Thank you for this table of grace that you pour out into our lives and that you will walk with us in whatever journey we're on today, whether it be hard or easy. And Lord, we pray that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup that they may truly be for us, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, so that when we leave here today, we can be the body of Christ for the world around us. So Lord, we invite you to come by your Holy Spirit. And we also just continue to bring our grief, our losses, our struggles before you today, our pain before you our grief, our depression, our sadness. And God, would you meet us there in your grace, with your grace today, in Jesus' name. And we pray together that prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.